Poole Couch Podcast is a weekly conversation with Dr. Lakeitha Poole, a licensed professional counselor in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, about all things mental health and personal growth. The Emerald Couch Podcast is the go-to pop site dialogue for self-help, good laughs, and real talk. This podcast is not meant to be a substitute for seeking support from a licensed mental health professional and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. For more information about counseling and therapeutic services, or for assistance in connecting with a therapist in your area, visit our website at www.smalltalkcounseling.com. Let's start the show. Couch listeners, this is your host, Dr. Lakeitha Poole. Thank you so much for tuning in another week. Um, I have a super, super exciting episode ahead, so I'm so excited to have three women who, I mean, I know they're my friends and my colleagues, but they all in my eyes are mentors as well. Um, They might not want to be, but they are. (laughs) Um, And so our topic this week, because we haven't talked about this on the show yet, specifically around being a woman of color, and even more specific, being a black woman working in mental health, but also we share um, the world of sports together as well. And so this week, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. And so we're actually recording live, which I don't always have my guests with me. And so this is a unique opportunity because we're in Montana, Big Sky, Montana, and it's cold. Um, And I think I've shared on the show, I don't like the cold. So you know, it helps to have them around uh, because they've made this trip really, really great. And so maybe we'll share some things of our experience here, but I want to introduce them and then I'm going to let each of them maybe they want to introduce themselves or say more about themselves and what they do. Um, And then we'll go from there and dive into our topic. So first up, I have Dr. Kenza Gunner, um, who is a clinical and sports psychologist and owner of Gunter Psychological Services in Atlanta, Georgia. Kenza? Hi. <laughs> Hi, everyone. So, yes, um, Kenza Gunter in Atlanta, Georgia. I identify as a clinical and sports psychologist, um, currently in private practice, but also I have a lot of contracts with athletic uh, programs in the Atlanta area. So I have the opportunity to work with high school students, college students, professional students, um, and my whole mission is just to help them move forward in their lives and the directions that they want to help them optimize their performance and and just kind of navigate this thing called life. So I think it's a, a honor and a privilege to have the opportunity to do what we do, and I'm very excited to be here. Thank Yay. you. You're welcome. Next up, we have Dr. Nicole Lennon, who is also a clinical psychologist who works at Auburn University, those other tigers. Uh, yeah, be an eagle then. That's cool. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> We're going to get into a whole thing. Then we got to, I mean, we got other dogs. Um, So, Nicole, I'm going to let you introduce yourself a little bit. Hey, guys. I'm uh, Nicole Lennon. Like uh, Lakeitha said, I'm at Auburn University. Uh, I've been there for two years, and so my role there, um, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, and I work with our student athletes on a range of things. Um, Most often, it's clinical concerns, whether it be uh, depression, anxiety, eating concerns, but then I also do a little bit of sport performance work. So, working on 
be able to call myself a sports psychologist. Um, hopefully that'll happen within the next year or so. Yeah. Um, but for now, I'm very proud to be a clinical psychologist working with our athletes and our coaches and our staff in the athletics department at Auburn University. Awesome. And last but definitely not least, mm -hmm. Dr. Angel Brutus, who serves as Director of Counseling and Sports Psychology at Mississippi State University. So we are like SEC heavy in the room, so yeah, I guess we can be friends right now. It just means more. It just means more. Um, and the owner of Synergistic Solutions, LLC. So, Angel, tell us a little bit about you. Hi, everyone. Really happy to be here. I represent the master's level licensed clinicians in the house. Um, but I also do have my doctorate in sport and performance psychology, but I am not a psychologist, so I always like to tell people that. Uh, really looking forward to chatting with you all today and uh, hopefully answering some questions about mental health services in general, but specifically getting really in-depth about the um, interest, um, specifically within sport populations, which is a unique competency in itself. Um, but then also just kind of chatting it up with my sister friends and colleagues. So thanks for having me. Of course. I'm so excited, y'all. Y'all have no idea. This is, this is good. And in case y'all don't know, we're you'll you'll know this when you hear it, but we're recording this. It's super late. Like all of us are out of our time zone. Um, this is not maybe normal hours of functioning for us. So it's gonna make for even more fun episodes. So we're gonna jump right into it so we can get through the show. Um, so anyone wanna start and just kind of share, and you guys in some ways talk about this in your intros, but how did you get into the world of mental health, psychology, sport? Um either all together or separately, and what do you love most about it? And anybody can, can go. I can go first. Um, so this is Angel. Uh, long story short, my undergrad is in speech-language pathology, and my master's is in counseling, specifically rehab counseling. And uh, over the years, I pursued my licensure as a therapist um, after I completed my degree. And over time, was just working with general populations and working with the psychologist and being an in-house provider with him. And he had a niche practice where there were just a lot of student athletes who were coming in the door who were highly recruited by division one programs, but they were having um, significant issues with ADD, LD, uh, ADHD and uh, learning disabilities as well. Um, and those, uh, unfortunately those symptoms and experiences were impacting their recruitment processes with um, different programs that they were interested in pursuing. And uh, so over time I, realized that there was some things there were some things that were missing in my area of expertise and I ended up going back to get my doctorate in sport performance psychology and I'm glad that I did because it definitely is a specialty um, and I had the great fortune of eventually running into Dr. Gunter across from me um, who has uh, been a great mentor in you know making this trajectory in this profession um, as my third career I tell people so ever evolving that's awesome Emails. So um, the, I initially wanted to go into, this is Kenza, sorry. I initially wanted to go into forensic psychology. Um, if anyone's seen Silence of the Lambs, I wanted to be Clarice. And I wanted to work with the FBI and be a profiler. I, mean, <laughs> totally I did not know that. <laughs> so I'm like, I did not know that. <laughs> so, and I, I did, a, for my master's program, I did an a externship at a prison, at a maximum security women's prison in Atlanta, Metro State Prison, which is now closed. And while I was there, I realized, I, I as strange as this sounds, I enjoyed the work. But the idea of going to jail every day was kind of like, I'm not sure 
that's going to be good for me long term because mm-hmm. I internalize the environments that I'm in. And I just felt like that could that could go left for me in my personal life. Um, and so in talking to a mentor there, they are the ones who, who mentioned the field of sports psychology to me. And so from there, I went to grad school and my grad program was at Argus University in Phoenix, where they had a clinical program that offered a sports psychology concentration. And so from my grad program, I was kind of immersed within the sports psych world and participated in you know some professional organization activities and um, just kind of kept going from there. And so... That's landed me opportunities in college counseling centers and now um, the opportunity in private practice. So it kind of was a part of my the last leg of my grad yeah, school journey. Like your journey. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I was a fluke. <laughs> <laughs> I actually came from jail. I worked in I, my background is uh, corrections and forensic. Um, so I was finishing my postdoc at the Cook County Juvenile Temporary Detention Center, which is the first and the largest juvenile detention center in the country, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. I, before then, I was at um, FMC Carswell, which is a women's prison in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, and before that, I was somewhere in Ohio at another facility. So that was, well, I wanted to be a deputy warden. That was mm-hmm. my career goal. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I, while I was in grad school, because um, I'm a former college basketball player, and so while I was in grad school, I coached AAU basketball. And I just remember thinking, like, oh, I just miss this world. But whatever, I've done this forensic thing, things, so this is what I'm going to do. Um, but while I was in Chicago, I happened to go to a talk that Dr. Wendy Wallaby was doing, and she works with the Chicago Bulls, and she's a black woman, so I walked mm-hmm. up to her and I said, hey, what, like, who are you? <laughs> Let's be friends. What is this thing that you do? Tell me all about it. And she kind of said, pretty straightforward, like, you need to do this because we need more black women. So after my postdoc position uh, finished, they offered me to stay. And I chose not to. I ended up going um, to live in my sister's spare bedroom on the air mattress for three months and looking for positions. And then mm-hmm. the job at Auburn opened up, and here I am. Um, and I, I love it because I, I'm able to merge my love for sport and my love for working with people and using my um, clinical psych background and like putting those two together and just mm-hmm. seeing how my athletes, how they first come to my office and then how I send them out is it's fun to see that happen. So I kind of fell into this by accident, but I know that nothing's by accident. Yeah, that's where you're supposed to be. You know, I also think there's this thing where people have this idea that athletes are the privileged group Mm, who has all of these resources and their lives are easy. But the reality is that they have some very unique challenges. Mm -hmm. Certainly they may have access to other resources and, and have some privileges, but... That, that comes with additional stressors and responsibilities. Oh, yeah. And so being able to understand their experience and help them through that, I think also was something that drew me to it, is wanting mm-hmm. to help a group that people might not recognize actually needs support and help. Yeah, mm-hmm. seeing the person. Right, yeah. 100%. Especially when they're navigating a fishbowl culture. Yeah. yeah, and when that's not their only identity. Right. I think that's one of the things that drew me in is just, I loved working with college students. There's just something unique about that developmental period that we all went through. And maybe I also like, man, I wish I could do some things differently or want to do things the same and help somebody know how to do that. Um, And they don't have to navigate it on their own. And so, yeah, you add the layer then of athletics on top of that. It's actually, you know, it's a much harder load to bear um, than people think. Yeah, Yeah. being an emerging adult and performing at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And And people forget that they are... They're so kids. (laughs) It's the key word. (laughs) And part part of it is because they're... They look so large. They've done so much. They put so much work into their bodies. Their bodies, so yeah. 
they do, and so people forget that mm -hmm. on some level they're still yeah. developing, and so they get treated from the outside as adults, mm -hmm. and then we see them like, oh, I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. And even at the, professional, at the yeah. professional level as well, because yeah. you have... 20, 21, 22, yeah, 23 year olds who are still yep. emerging adults, yeah. but now they're expected to be adult even more because they're professionals. And yeah. then those professionals that actually are adults, like you said, yeah. they're still people. Yeah. And so you can't yeah. ever forget that. Yeah. And even with the emerging adult piece, they're still not at the same trajectory as their non-sport peers, right? Yeah. So, so that, true. you know, that arrested development because everything has been dictated. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. Yeah. People just, you know, don't understand, which is why we're talking because right. we get an yep. idea. So, Thinking about this, and I think, Nicole, you kind of alluded to this when you talked about meeting Wendy as women, particularly, you know, in the world of sports. Um, even though we have come a long way, there's still a lot for us to do and a lot of um, new paths, I think, to sort of carve, which we're doing by even being all together and doing this and having a friendship and the bond. I think that's something that we can't take for granted either. Um, but specifically as black women in this field, and we've spent time at this conference that we're at right now, like talking about like race and the implications around that, even gender. What do you all think are the challenges that do still exist or changes that still need to happen at you know any level for this to be maybe easier for folks coming behind us? I mean, I think if you look back at the history of sports psychology, um, when it was an emerging field, it was dominated by white men. I mean, there's research that supports that 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 was the the group who was providing the services. And so, I think over the years, what we've seen is a diversification in the practitioners. But it's it's still not um, as diverse as it could be. Mm -hmm. You know, I think when we think of the world of sport, we often think of it as this very diverse kind of utopian place where. Um, it's, things in the world are neutralized, but the reality is, is that sport exists in society and so does sport psychology, right? Yeah. And so all of the isms that you deal with in the world are, are also present in your profession and, mm -hmm. and that lack of representation and that translating to a lack of inclusion, all of that kind of goes into it. And so I think the more you can have people who are trained, um, like qualified is what yeah. I mean, qualified in this specific area, to come in and do the work and you, you create community and you collaborate. Wendy and I went to grad school together and so it's interesting because as big as the world is, sports like is still really small, mm -hmm. right? And so I still think um, getting people in, and encouraging and mentoring and, and letting people know that there is space for diverse practitioners that mirror the populations that we serve and work with, mm -hmm. right? I think that's the important piece too. So it, it's shifting and it's changing, but it can be hard, just like it's hard anywhere yeah. to be the only or one of a few um, and trying to establish that you are on par mm -hmm. with your peers who yeah. may not have had to think about that right. in their careers. Yeah, I think also just having understanding the responsibility of pursuing the competency to work with this particular culture. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just um, because you you know might check off someone else's checkbox of a minority status or an identity that you really do have to. Um, not only represent, but you also have to represent the competencies that come along with it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's, it's not just the critical mass piece. It's all the other stuff that comes with it. Yeah. Um, what do you guys, and you all alluded to this too, y'all are doing so great at this. <laughs> um, this idea of, like, the, the necessity to have the connections that come with, like, mentorship, consultation, um, collaboration, like, being able to think about that knowing that as women – you know, we have these sort of unique challenges sometimes by being in the field. Um, how important either has that been to your experience or do you think it should be 
for anyone wanting to enter this field, like mentorship, collaboration, consulting? Is it everything? For me, honestly, I'm, I, I think I live by the, the idea that I am because we are. Yeah. Um, I literally looked into sports psychology because someone told me to and has mm-hmm. mentored me into that position. And then I have grown and met so many other people because of the people that I sit with at this table. Right? Mm-hmm. So the connections that I've made, the knowledge that I've gained, the confidence that I've gained through all of this has been because I have had mentors and have mm-hmm. mentors who have um, been so generous and you know given me their time and their knowledge. And so I think for me, it's been everything, you know? Um, and I think that it might just be because we as black people are more, a more collective yeah, we're communal. Culture, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm going up, we're all going up. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, and I think that has been super important for me. And, and because that was given to me, it's been, it's really integral that I do that for those who come behind me. It's refreshing. Um, I can go and tell you stories for days about uh, inauthentic mentorship mm-hmm. kind of relationships that has been a part of my story, you know, getting to where I have been prior to coming into the sport um, realm of things. Um, you know, sometimes a mentor would be assigned to me from an institution or organization just because they were a person of color. Yeah. Um, and that did not necessarily pan out too well. Right. And so I think the the great recipe for true um, a good connection for a mentor and mentee is really having that authenticity in the relationship, but then also understanding that the mentee is not a threat to your position. Um, I think sometimes that doesn't get talked about a lot um, or enough, uh, not just necessarily within, you know, people of color, but women of color in in particular. Um, You know, sometimes we're portrayed in media as, you know, being catty or, you know, things of that nature. But I think this space is a really good space as an example to show that you can have these mentorship, mentee kind of relationships and it not uh, be suffocating or it not uh, be the crabs in the bucket kind of experience. Mm -hmm. Mm And I think at, at the core, um, skills aside, credentials aside, what we do in this field is about relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're working with our clients, we're building a relationship. When we are navigating in these professional spaces and with our colleagues, it's about relationships. Um, sometimes when you get a job in this field, it's not because you saw the position, it's because somebody you have a relationship with saw yeah. the position and sent it your way yeah. because they thought mm-hmm. about you, yeah. right? Yeah. And so it's, I, I think, collaboration, um, collegiality, mentorship, consultation, you can't function as an island. And it is essential for you to be able to have a a well-trusted and authentic tribe, if you will, for you to be able to go to and lean on as you navigate your journey here as well, because it's about relationships. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I know, I think, I know for a fact that being in this world, like you just mentioned, you can't do it alone, but then also knowing that in this journey, you're going to come across situations, incidences, things that you are not prepared for. And so I think as folks who are typically, you know, more educated in the field, it would be silly and almost, I hate to say the word, but dumb Mm -hmm. to not lean on people who have walked the path before you, Mm -hmm. have had experiences you haven't had, Um, can offer you support when you need it, even Mm -hmm. if you don't even want to talk about that thing, but just to talk about something else. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's how we thrive as clinicians in general, but then also more so in this field where we have the other challenges, like we talked about earlier, based on our gender or our Mm -hmm. race, um, to sort of navigate. Sometimes you you need somebody who does just gets it and Mm -hmm. who's authentic and um, who actually cares about your well-being and sometimes not even words like you can just give each other a look yeah and it means everything yeah (laughs) noted
We've had that. I was like, I feel like we had that all week <laughs> while we've been together. It's happened a few times, so... So any closing thoughts about, I think I told you guys, like most of our listeners are people who are interested in mental health, but probably haven't ever taken that step to like go seek support. And so they listen to this podcast, which every episode I always talk about um, taking that step. But like any words of advice for somebody who is, you know, on the line of not realizing how helpful therapy or counseling or um, any sort of therapeutic form of support maybe can Mm -hmm. help them any Words of advice or wisdom? I'm going to swing it to Kinsa based off of something that I heard her say, and I thought it was extremely brilliant the way that she articulated it. Um, I think it was like at a sports psychology conference maybe last year, and it was talking about mental health, right? Um, and how mental health is like on a spectrum, right? So when you ask someone about their health, they can give you all the positives as well mm-hmm. as all the negatives and some of the stuff in between. But as soon as you put that word mental in front of it, people always give you the illnesses or the yeah. pathologies and things of that nature. But that's not what mental health is. Yeah. So I'm going to swing it over to you. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Um, so. Right. So, but no, I, I mean, I think um, asking for help is one of the most courageous things you can do. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that's more than just a phrase. It's actually the truth. Um even though it can be difficult to take that step. But when you think about mental health, a lot of people think I have to be really in crisis, falling apart at my breaking point in order to go and see someone. But that's like the only area in life that we that think we about like that. that. Yeah. Right? If you if you are at home and you have a sore throat for three or four days, you're going to the store to buy some medication. If that doesn't work, you're going to the doctor. If that doesn't work, you're going back to the doctor, right? And you're willing to do whatever's necessary to get back into a place of feeling healthy, right? And when you were sick, you didn't feel like that meant you were going to be sick indefinitely. Mm-hmm. You were sick for that period of time with that sore throat, but now you've gone and, and done something to help yourself get back to a place of health. And if you couldn't do it on your own, then you went and sought help from a doctor who could help mm-hmm. you do it. I think mental health should be the same it way, be the same. right? Like if you are going through a major challenge, absolutely you can go and seek help. That's what we're here for. But also if you feel like maybe there's just an itch in my throat, proverbially, mm-hmm. right? Or there's just a little something going on. And I want to talk to somebody who I feel like I can like just say it without worrying about judgment, criticism, feedback, some uh, like an uninvolved third party who literally is there just to help me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when you can go see therapy, too. I mean, it's for the range. It's not just for, like I said, the critical cri- crisis moments. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you just go because you need to talk. You need an outlet. Everybody needs that. Yeah. Right? It's, it's equivalent to exercise or yoga or something of that nature mm-hmm. when you can just go to get a boost for yourself and continue to move forward. So um, I, I think I think everybody should try at least at once. Least one. You know, I mean, right. I just think they should because there's something really powerful about being seen and heard and, and having a space that belongs to you and is geared toward helping you to, to move in the way you want to go. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's what I think. And but I know people of color. I know us, right? So we say this too. <laughs> yeah. I know us, yeah. and you know we're not supposed to air business outside mm-hmm. of the house. So we're supposed to women, black women. We're supposed to be super women. Um, but a quote that I heard that stuck with me was that that cape is not a dress, mm-hmm. right? So even though there are times when you may have to do some extraordinary things and deal with some extraordinary situations, you you don't need to have the cape on all the time, right? And as I say, every superhero has a human alter ego, and you got to be able to take care of the human in order to thrive in this life. So that's where counseling therapy comes into play. Yes. Agreed. Dr. Lennon, anything to add? 
everything that you got to say. <laughs> no, I, know, I, I think it's true because, you know, with this, as, as us, our people, yeah. have just spent so centuries having to be strong, right? So any signs of what, quote, weaknesses or vulnerabilities, and we try to wall that off and kind of take care of it for ourselves, but there's another way to take care of yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and I know it can be daunting. Um, even for me, I went to therapy, and I was scared. And I'm yeah. a licensed psychologist, right. so I can only Same imagine here. what it's like yeah. for somebody to go who has had little to no experience with mm-hmm. the mental health field. With the field. Walking mm-hmm. to talk to a stranger, right? Mm-hmm. But at some point, you know, when when do you take care of yourself? When do yeah. you say, you know what, I, I'm worth it, I deserve this, and this is what I'm going to do for me. Even if you're scared, mm-hmm. be scared and do it anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah push through it helps to increase your capacity mm-hmm. right um sometimes we don't think about ourselves like that you know there are times where we don't have any space for anything else yeah and then we choose not to make the space exactly. and dig ourselves into a hole mm-hmm. that is much harder to get out of than right. you know when it starts out as a smaller issue mm-hmm. grows yeah. into something much bigger yeah. So you guys heard that. Literally four clinicians. <laughs> Black just, women. Right. Yeah. Just and I gave you, Yeah. <laughs> we just gave you permission right. to do what you gotta do for you yourself. So yeah, <laughs> you will feel so much better. So um and you all heard like where all of us are. Find us. Reach out to us. Let us know. We can help you. Even if you can't see us, we can help you find somebody to see. Um so that brings us to the end of our I guess foremost segment. So we're going to take a break right there and we'll be right back with the second half of our show and our signature segments. The second half of the show is always fun, I hope, um, where we just pick a pop psych topic and from the week or the past week um and just talk it through so of course you know next weekend super bowl weekend right and like um last weekend was the nfc championship or i like to call it the nfc's championship gate because i'm from new orleans and you know things hurt but i'm i'm gonna let it go it's fine you know I'll talk, yeah, to, I'll talk to my therapist about it. <laughs> but one of the things that I think um, is interesting to talk about because sometimes, again, we're talking about sports and we're talking about the world of sports and its connection to sort of like mental health and well-being. And it's come up today how athletes, because of this identity that they carry along with the rest, put a lot into what they have worked really hard to be a part of, no matter what side of it you fall on. And so, of course, tons of uproar around that game in particular. Um, but I also think, interesting enough, to sort of like contrast or compare that with the uproar. I know as a New Orleanian, people were going really far. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm mad about the game, but like, it's okay. Like, I have a real life. Like, you know what I mean? I have a separate life. Um, we'll try again next year. Like, we went years without winning. That will be good. Um, but then, and so there were people calling into like news stations. And there are actually like lawsuits out right now against the NFL. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things. And so what I think is interesting is that for something like that, people are like really going to the extreme and on the opposite end of that, bringing culture into it. And that's why this is called our pop psych moment of the week. What about like what we've seen for the last two and a half, almost three years around players kneeling and President Trump's remarks and like those things not pushing as much of like the uproar around why people are sort of responding like that? 
a lot of people feel, you know, super justified in these like lawsuits and their anger about this game. Mm-hmm. Nobody's really, you know, people were mad about the kneeling, but not necessarily about the context of why people were kneeling and, mm-hmm. and trying to like force the issue of like, no, listen to this about why people feel this way as athletes. And, um, you know, our, our president's remarks um, and people limiting their thoughts on that sometimes. So do you feel like as us working in this field, but just also as just people existing in the world, is there a line of like how involved personally we should even be in sports if we're not willing to take that outside of like that microcosm of sports into the real world and be like just as, you know, forthright about standing up for things or um, protecting things that we feel like we value? What do y'all think? Is there a line or should there be a line? Or are people just like really weird? Sports fan is is short for fanatic, right? And so, I mean, people have really strong feelings towards their sport team. There's a level of identification, and some would even say Mm over-identification that goes into that. But, I mean, think about what, what it means to be connected to a sports team. There is community. There is a shared purpose. There is kind of this camaraderie with people you don't even know because you wear the same colors and you cheer for the same squad and you support one another when you win and you're mm-hmm. elated and you cry with I mean, you know, like mm-hmm. it's this whole so sense you have a of common enemy. Yeah. I mean yeah. it's this whole system um that's created and it's a it's a connector. Yeah. Right? And if we, you know, think about us as people we all want to be connected. What that looks like looks different for all of us, but that's an instant connector. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think when we see the the level of investment and then the level of reaction, such as we saw with the NFC Championship game, um, I mean it, it it's it's almost understandable when you think about it from that context of they are identified with this this and identified in such a way that they feel the wins and the losses like yeah. it, it means something to them personally like yeah. it hits them like I won like, or I, I lost, lost yeah. right even though they're not on the field because. Yeah. There's such a, a strong connection, not only to the team and to, to the, you know, what I said earlier, but mm-hmm. to the city, mm-hmm. right? And so, and if and the city lost, and the city needs this. And so I just think there's so much more that goes into that um, in terms of connection beyond just the team. So yeah. I understand why, why fans get that hard. But then when you ask the other question about, well, what about when there are injustices that happen? Why don't mm-hmm. people go as hard for that? Because people never have gone as hard for that. And then there's a sense of connection with the, 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 with the cause or the, right. just mm-hmm. you know, for the cause. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it makes people uncomfortable. Right? Yeah. Right. So part of it is because they don't have the investment, but also what whatever level of awareness you have, if it makes you uncomfortable, I'm going to go away from that. Yeah. Thing. Especially right. if I have no investment, right? So, mm-hmm. oh, I don't want to touch that because that makes me uncomfortable. People mm-hmm. never do things anymore. But then mm-hmm. it's also like, you know, if you think about like social identity theory all day long, um, it's that it goes back to that that what is your category of belongingness, right? And you're quick to identify with um, the largest possible group, right? Um, and if that's the case, then that has implications for how you might see others, even if there are more similarities and differences, right? And so then your perception becomes skewed, and it's just like a whole whirlwind after that and as you were talking I was just thinking about if you take a different domain and say politics Mm -hmm. right Um, if you ever look at the political conventions and some of the fandom that's in there right it's quite interesting it's it's very much so like a sport Mm -hmm. population 
um, of fans that are in there. I mean, with their gear and like you know the outrageous the signs, signs and the, and the outrageous yeah. costumes. Like people wear costumes in political arenas, the like, same way they do as sports. 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 Right, yeah. and so it's again, it's that that collectiveness, but we also have an identified enemy, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's the part that really gets the rage part, mm-hmm. right? And so that's why you see what you have because now. For this particular situation, the common enemy is the referee, the ref, which yeah. the ref is already a soft target anyway, right. because who really does stand up for the ref? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's true. Um, I literally do a coach's training on how to facilitate the relationships with your refs. Because mm-hmm. if there's a 50-50 chance that the ref can go either way, you want him to think of you as the one that I can swing your way. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing. So right now, the common enemy the ref. Yeah. And I think to your point of, you know, talking about that, that it, you can rally around that, like everybody feels the same way around about that issue. Um, who's cheering for that particular team. When you think again about social justice, everybody's not thinking about it the same way. Yeah. Right. And I think that can't be understated. It makes them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. 100%. But they also might not agree with the issue that's being presented. There, there are many people who don't agree with Kaepernick kneeling or the reason why. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think, for those who do understand and do stand with him, it's very hard to see how somebody could not see that, mm-hmm. right? But the reality is that there are some people that don't. And so I think it is, it's very easy to say, well, why don't you see it like that? Like, how can you miss that? Mm-hmm. But if that's not a part of your lived experience and that's not your perspective, mm-hmm. then you see it differently. And, and I think, I don't know. I mean, I think in society as a whole right now, being able to step outside of yourself and see somebody else's perspective is a skill that we're lacking yeah. as a society. I mean, and we talk, um, we, how many times do we talk about blind spots? Yeah, I don't even think it's blind spot at this point. Like, I don't, I don't think people are trying to see. Mm-hmm. I think people are are digging into their view, and if you disagree, then now you are the enemy, as mm-hmm. opposed to having a dialogue to try to understand where you're coming from and why yeah. you feel the way you feel, so we can reach some common ground. It just doesn't feel like common ground is the goal anymore right, right? like at this moment yeah 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 well obviously we'll never fix the outcome people are gonna be mad forever until the season starts over again and that's the irony in it right like we'll get through the super bowl yeah and the seasons will start up again the rivalry rivalries will return the love for your teams will come back. Like, nothing changes. You better believe, though, it's going to be some signs about the refs in New Orleans on the first preseason oh, yeah. game of this year. Oh, that's yeah. Gonna, that's going to carry over. Oh, that, that will carry that. over. That will carry over for a while. I just had a thought. Somebody needs to, like, build a practice specifically for the refs. <laughs> Probably. It's <laughs> a good idea. The amount of distress that they go through. Yeah. Oh, I could imagine. And, yeah. and they get threats. Yeah, and not just in football. Like we're talking, we're using football as an example, no, but I yeah, mean, yeah, in every yeah. sport. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you specifically. Yeah. Like yeah. right now, there's That's a drop serious. in in volunteer reps at the youth level because of the badgering and literal like abuse parents. they endure. So, you guys chew on that, um, but at the end of the day, what we hope you've taken from at least that thought about our pop psych moment of the week is that. Being able to sort of be engaged in sport, it comes with a little bit more than just um, playing. There are, you know, other people that are involved. There are sometimes causes behind them involved. Um, And so even though a lot of times we just go because we have a ticket and it's our team that we grew up loving. um, Those individuals who play, like we talked about earlier, there's there's more on the line or those refs 
who that's their job. Mm -hmm. Um, And so knowing that they feel uncomfortable returning to their job, probably in the New Orleans Superdome, Um, um, you know, makes for a different experience. Right. I'm like, we're never going to get refs again. Like no one's going to ever want to come. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to be a challenge. Yeah. So yeah, it probably will be worse. Um, So that's our pop psych moment of the week. And last up before we close, I always share with you guys kind of like what I'm reading. And it's usually there's something mental health related or, um, Sometimes it's an article. Sometimes it's like just something I've seen in pop culture as well. One of the things that for my um, small talk bookshelf moment. So um, we've talked today a lot about the importance of being able to recognize that you're always learning, you're always growing. Um, And so this semester, even though I am like miserable about it, but I already know. I know. I know. They're going to get on me right now. You have the best (laughs) Yes. So as we as we as we've all mentioned, us working in sport, it is important, particularly um, in wanting to be, you know, seen as experts in our field to do everything possible to sort of present yourself in that way. And sometimes that is also continuing your education. And so this semester, I am back in school for the first time in three years, and I like want to vomit but they are keeping me excited about this so um i am excited about it because it is directly related to my role um working in mental health and in sport um at the university level in particular but i also know it's an opportunity for me to go beyond that and so being able to recognize that it actually has been really great so i think when school started i was like oh my gosh i'm walking with a backpack to this building with a you know a textbook and a notebook and like which is interesting well and well, i was going to say and interesting enough like walking in with a notebook and like so i'm the only person in my class that writes like notes everybody else has their laptops and i dev- i i just never existed in that world and i don't even think that i mean i'm in my 30s so i'm like dang like when did people stop using notebooks like i don't know um like i bought a notebook for this class <laughs> So, um, and no one's using them. And so it's just, it's a different experience. And so the reason why I wanted that or brought that up as my small talk bookshelf moment is sort of this idea that you don't ever stop learning and you don't ever stop growing. And it is important for you as you pursue, you know, whether it's career goals, educational goals, personal goals, um, to invest yourself, um, invest in yourself so that um, you can achieve those goals. And so while in the beginning I was not excited, um, it has actually been a good experience thus far. Definitely created. Um, one of my mentors is shaking her head at me right now. Um, because, you know, it's accountability. We talked about that earlier. So they're going to make sure that I make it through this class because um, it's a whole semester. And it's week three or four. So but it's leading to a certification that would be fantastic. Absolutely. So, And I'm excited about it because the course itself, as a clinician, everything having to do with mental health, psych, it's nice to have a different perspective because it's based in the Kines department. So um, I'm getting a lot of, you know, discussions around human movement mm-hmm. and connection with mental health and psych that I wouldn't have gotten no, no matter what. So um, that is my small talk bookshelf moment. And of course, since I have guests, I have to ask them if there's anything, if there's anything you're reading now or that it doesn't have to even be a book. It could be an article you've read. It can be something you came across on social media um, but any sort of like useful resource that has been good to you the past few weeks, months, whatever. So I am taking time to actually read something that's non-academic, mm, which is a that's first. Because I'm always trying to like find something new to do with my students, keep it fresh. Um, but even like 
in, pre in preparation for this trip to this conference, um, finally got a chance to just sit down and start reading uh, Michelle Obama's book, Becoming. And it's, it's funny, amazing. It's amazing how her story is so parallel to mine that it's almost scary mm -hmm. um and you know just the the i don't want to ruin it for anyone who hasn't read well, it i've already ruined it for, i've talked about it on the oh, show good. <laughs> so, like, i was no. like yeah, but, yeah. Was like, i kept it very general right yeah but it's there's just, just that so good. many different lessons that are like nuggets and when i say that i had my book that book now looks like my worn bible mm -hmm. um, because it's like oh that's a good one. Oh, that is so me oh mm -hmm. i never thought about it like this and it's just amazing and i think my takeaway so far has been you know own your story like all of the good as well as all of the not so good parts mm -hmm. and that is a part of your life's journey. And it really does, it might not make sense why you go through what you go through in the moment, mm -hmm. but when you reflect on it, there's always something to take away from it. Yeah. Um, I think the other part of it was really how she was able to describe her experiences as a woman of color in her different stages of development. Yeah, I and, that was cool. you know, it, it just really rings true to a lot of things. And yeah. I, I'm very grateful and fortunate um, to know that there are examples of people like this that I can also pass down this information to my own children, my own daughters. Yeah. Um, because, you know, even though we're in these positions and, you know, we might get kudos for making it thus this far, these positions that we hold are not really for us. It's for these other individuals who may be listening to your podcast who are interested in the field mm -hmm. and one day we'll be walking in our shoes. Yeah. Um, and so Becoming has really been a really good validating kind of text for me. Yeah, it was amazing. I like want to read it again already. Mm -hmm. So I haven't read it yet, so thanks for not spoiling it. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. I read Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper. Um, mm -hmm. And I that kind of came as a recommendation from a friend of mine. Um, and I just started it. But thus far, I'm totally in love with it. It's uh, For me, it's kind of like having a conversation with a girlfriend. Because um, it's a collection of essays that centers around black women, um, black womanhood, and more specifically black feminism, because I identify as feminist. And so she's like, oh yeah, let's talk about this, you know? But it's nice because it's from her perspective. And so, like I said, it's like talking to a girlfriend, mm -hmm. um, but about topics that I've thought about or have experienced or had conversations with my girlfriends about um, and putting it in a way that helps me put words to like the things that I've experienced mm -hmm. or thought about. And so the title itself, she explains um, as black women, as you probably know that we, live our lives with some rage for many reasons mm -hmm. and so it's like what do we do with that and, and is that okay for us yeah, to, to express that and so for her she's kind of talked the very beginning and start talking about like how she became aware that she was uh masking that rage as passion like mm -hmm. oh i'm just passionate about whatever topic it was it's like no i'm, I'm angry mm -hmm. and i have a really good reason to so for me the first few chapters have been really nice because it's validated a lot of the experiences and emotions that I've had living as a black woman my whole life mm -hmm. um but again like I said putting it in putting words to my experiences in a way that feels less academic which is yeah. nice. so mm -hmm. it still kind of feeds me academically and right. intellectually but it feels much less it's personal too. yeah so that's really nice I love it so um I try to read a combination of books that can help me in my practice and then mm -hmm. books that I just enjoy for fun. And one of the books I most recently read was The Ideal Teen Slayer by Patrick Lencioni. And his most popular book, I think, is The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And so mm -hmm. it really is the, the latest book, Ideal Teen Player, is about 
cultivating three specific characteristics in your employees or those who are part of your team in order to get the most out of your team's performance. So I thought that was really good. Really quick read. He, he structures it as like a parable or a story in which he's presenting the principles. And then the latter half of the book, he kind of explains the principles in more depth. And so I think that was really good in working with teams and thinking about um, how to create the ideal team player. Um, that book was really kind of a good reminder of one, keep it simple. But, you know, two, here are some specific things you might yeah. want to look for. Um, the other book that I'm currently reading um, is Superman on the Couch, <laughs> which merges my love for comics and superheroes and anything fantasy with also mental health. And so I think, um, I don't think, I use a lot of metaphor in my work. Mm -hmm. And I, I often ask my clients kind of, if you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? Because I think that tells me a lot about them. Mm -hmm. And so I just like this book because it talks about how we use um, superhero stories and comics as metaphors for different challenges and struggles in life. I mean, if you think about most of the superhero origin stories, most of them are rooted in trauma. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, a really good metaphor for how one can go through difficult situations and kind of emerge on the other side even stronger than they may have been before, um, but also have to deal with that vulnerability. Like I said, all superheroes have, have human alter egos. And so being able to to marry those two interests for me is really cool. So I like it. I love it. Y'all are reading great things. This is exciting. <laughs> and now you all as listeners have some things to go pick up at your local Barnes and Noble um, or wherever you shop. Um, so that brings us to the end of our show. This has been so much fun. Um, I have to thank these ladies for one, staying up with me tonight. Mm -hmm. This is our last <laughs> night here. We are all getting up early because we have to get out of here and get back to our homes. Um, and so I'm just excited that you guys said yes to this, but also I'm excited for our listeners to hear this because I know they're going to love it because I did. <laughs> well, thank you for the invitation. Yeah, of course. Definitely. You're welcome back on the Emerald Couch anytime. <laughs> You know, we're at a table today. Um, so as always, um, like I tell you guys, make sure that if you have questions um, for any of our guests or for myself, please feel free to email them to us or send them to us through social media, Instagram, Facebook, on our website, um, through our Ask Dr. LP portal. Thank you all for tuning in another week. Of course, we have more exciting topics ahead. We're just getting started with season two. Um, so I'm excited to see what's ahead. And I hope that you all have enjoyed this episode as much as I have. Make sure you like, follow, and subscribe. And I will see you right back here next time on the Emerald Couch.